Hello again and welcome to the New Ground Life and Leadership Podcast, here to help you thrive as a follower of Jesus wherever you are and in whatever you're going through. I'm your host, Jez Field. Now in today's episode, I caught up with my good friend Simon Elliott to get some tips on how we can all learn to better regulate our emotional health and well-being. Simon has been a local church pastor for many years and is currently the executive leader Everyday Church London. He's a regular conference speaker and leadership consultant and Simon's one of those people who whenever I'm speaking with him I find myself wishing I had a notepad handy to write down some of the things he's saying and so I figured it would make sense to hit record on one of the conversations so that you and I can both revisit and go over some of the practical and wise things that he has to say. If you enjoy what you hear don't forget to like, subscribe and share so that we can enable more people to thrive in their Christian life but let's dive straight in with the question what have you learned about yourself or leadership in the past six months enjoy uh simon great to have you with us oh it's great to be here jess thanks for asking me um i think the first thing i'd say is that i am learning i don't think i'd put learnt in the past tense i mean we're We're probably about halfway through, maybe, um, this lockdown season. It's a bit different than it looked three months ago. It'll probably look different again in in three weeks or three months' time. So I don't think I've necessarily learned. I'm learning. I think I've learned that I am far more dependent on external factors than I thought I was. So I think those rhythms and habits, going into the office on certain days, what happened on a Sunday, the rhythm of a Sunday, the rhythm of life, which just stopped in a moment, you know, it, March the 18th or whenever it was, and suddenly you're at home 100% of the time, you're not going to a building on a Sunday to worship, you're gathering around a screen to worship. I suddenly discovered, gosh, I thought I was fairly secure and I thought my identity was fairly internal and discovering, gosh, there's a lot of external factors that keep me safe. There's a lot of external factors that make me feel secure. And suddenly, in a moment, all of those were taken away. And you discover that you are maybe less like a cake and more like a souffle than you thought you were. And uh, that's a challenge. Less like a cake and more like a souffle. Someone's got the Great British Bake Off uh, yeah, on their record plan yeah. for this evening. So um, so what I mean by that is a prophetic word that um, I heard a number of years ago, that, that a souffle is one of those things that's very dependent on the environment it's in. All the time it's in that hot oven, it looks very, very impressive. But you take it out and you put it on the side and very quickly it loses all its structure and all its form and all its substance. Whereas a decent cake, yeah, it rises in the oven, you bring it out, and then half an hour later, it, 90% of it is the same shape. And I think you, when all those external factors were taken away in a moment, you suddenly think, yeah, I'm not maybe as secure as I thought I was, and uh, I've maybe not invested enough in those internal processes, those that emotional health, that spiritual health. So it's interesting, you're asking me to talk about something that I've realised over the last six months, I'm maybe not as strong as I thought I was. And that's mm. that's been very helpful, though at times uh, hard. 
Mm. I imagine there is that challenge internally when you notice you're still learning the same lessons that you keep telling everybody else to do. Absolutely. Um, the the challenge of um, yeah of a feeling like who am I to talk on this? But actually, it qualifies you more than more than you realise to talk about a subject like this because you're self aware enough to know all the various blind spots of yourself, which are probably more universal than they are particular. So, what have been some of the things that you've particularly noticed and how have you then walked yourself back into a place of emotional health so you you come back to first principles really i mean i think you're right i think growth is uh the, the journey of growth is circular rather than linear in that it, it's not that you it's not everything's up and to the right isn't it in terms of growth emotionally and spiritually it's not like you encounter and insecurity, say, when you're 25, you work it out and then you never encounter that insecurity again. It's much more that you're going around in a circle and that's certain you're going up in that spiral, if it makes sense. So running through, though, vertically through those, those circles are the same insecurities. What do people think of me? Does God love me? Am I effective? Am I working hard enough? Am I being noticed? Um you know, will I always be struggling with that area of sin? All these things, you just, you, you hit them at different seasons in your life. And I think what happens in lockdown is you hit them again because you're going through another another season. It's not they weren't there before. It's that in lockdown, you're, I mean, I would observe lockdown has emphasized both our strengths and our weaknesses. Uh, it, it's character comes out when you're under pressure. And I've said to you before, character is like toothpaste comes out when you're squeezed and and so in in a lockdown situation on a personal level on a leadership level on a church level your strengths get amplified oh yeah that was really going well and therefore it's it stood the test but also the things that were weaknesses that you were getting away with both in terms of your own character in terms of your leadership style in terms of your teams in terms of your church structures they get very very exposed um and so so the, the rule of thumb is, is when you get lost, you go back to the point where you knew where you were. So that's true about a physical journey. That's true about an emotional journey. And so what I've had to do when I've had those moments where I think I'm just a bit lost here, I'm a bit lost emotionally, I'm a bit lost spiritually, you go, well, okay, I need to go back to a point where I knew where I was <laughs> and then start again. You know, most of us, when we're lost, we just keep going hoping that accelerating and not asking for directions will end up getting us in the right place. Well, that's better slowing down, going back to that point where you made the wrong call is what we should do. And so I think that's what I've tried to do. So uh, get back to the Word of God, systematically reading through the Word of God, praying in tongues, investing in friendships. I think I've found as well that I've had to connect again. Lockdown's been busy. I think for some people, lockdown's been hard because they haven't been busy i think for me lockdown has been hard because i've been even busier i was pretty busy before and i was even busier uh, during lockdown and so i had to try and slow down and try and connect with god through the word connect with god through prayer connect with god through worship listening to worship encountering god in my personal times of worship praying in tongues and also connecting with friends you know zooming with friends when, when we were able to grabbing lunch with a friend, going for a walk with a friend, they're the things that, that keep me personally healthy. Mm. 
So, yeah, I mean, you've talked before about the importance of knowing yourself and what keeps you personally healthy. You talked about different ways that people recharge and refresh themselves. I guess knowing things like that about yourself is helpful when you feel lost. Um, but help us um, think that through the different ways that people um, might recharge and how they can increase just an understanding of themselves and what the best way of the, themselves recharging it might be. Um, ask questions. And the, the, again, a really general principle that helps in every area of life is to ask questions. So, you know, if you're lost, ask someone for directions. And you can do that on your own. You can do that with other people. It will depend a bit whether you're an internal or an external processor, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. Um, so go, just sitting down, if, you know, in the first instance, you can sit down yourself, a bit of, big bit of paper and just write down how am I feeling and why am I feeling like that? So the why question is always more important than the what question. So you might be able to say, I'm really sad. And then you go, well, why am I sad? What what has happened? What is going on in my life? What is going on in my thought processes? Um, what season of life am I in? So it's very helpful to, to reflect on the season of life you're in. So Gwen and I have just become empty nesters. So we now have no children living at home. Um, that impacts you. And just to recognize that, recognize, well, for 20 odd years at some point one of our children has been living in our house and that gives you identity and although that can be frustrating and tiring and draining and all the rest of it it gives you identity when that's not there you can go oh that's why i feel a bit lost i've lost a bit of that identity so asking questions yourself is where if you are married your spouse can be incredibly helpful even if you are married good friends what i call muppet friends people who you know love you enough to tell you the truth and and just to be open and honest with them say i'm struggling at the moment and sometimes as a leader we find that hard we find it hard to say to somebody i'm struggling um and it's why friendship is important it's why historic friendships are important because to try and to try and form a friendship when you're struggling is hard you need friendships that have already been formed you need kind of friendship in your storehouse as it were, so you can go to those friends and say, I'm struggling in this area, or I'm struggling with my identity, or I'm struggling with my emotion, um, I'm struggling with my workload, too little, too much. Help. Does that make sense? You know, ask the why question as much as you can. Yeah, no, uh, really helpful. I, um, I, I want to pick up something that we perhaps didn't think we were going to go to, but I think it's quite interesting um, this concept of friendship, um, both what is a friend and how do you at different stages in life develop friendships when um, when you're young and you're in full-time education or you're in an intense environment where you're having intense experiences, friendships, relationships are forged quite quickly. Mm -hmm. What I notice uh, being in a, in a small church here, the challenge is that people who join a church join because in large part they're looking for friendship. But mm -hmm. if there's no one in the room that they necessarily become friends with straight away it becomes a challenge for them to hold on to that community i'd just be really interested to know your reflections as you've come across as a pastor as well you've tackled that and uh what you might say to someone in state different stages of life and how to as practically as you know and as straightforwardly as that as how do you make friends and cultivate friendship 
Now, good question. There is no substitute for time. And I think there, the reality is to build friendship takes time. You have to invest in it. You know, we would all like a great pension pot at the end of the day, and we've just about learned that the the earlier you start investing in it and the more you invest in it, the bigger a pension pot you'll have. That is true about friends. So if your life is running a 1,000 miles an hour, you will struggle to make friends. There is no – you cannot make friendship friends on the, on the fly. You just, you just can't. You'll, you'll make acquaintances – uh, and you'll have colleagues, you'll have neighbours. But if you want to make a friend, you've got to sit down and you've got to talk. You've got to do something together um, and in, invest. And you've got to take some risks. I think one of the challenges is that we we want friendship and we want real friendship and we want people who will be vulnerable with us, um, but we find it hard to be vulnerable ourselves. And Brennan Brown says, doesn't she? She says, you know, vulnerability is the most attractive trait in someone else. It's what we look for in someone else all the time, but it's the thing we find hardest to give to others. Now, we want people who are really vulnerable and open and honest as long as they don't want us to be vulnerable and open and honest. And, and in the end, you reap what you sow. If you want friendship, you need to sow friendship. And, and you have to make time. And take those risks and be willing to take those risks. And maybe this relationship that you've embarked on won't grow into a friendship. But if you don't start, that will never happen. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's good. And I I think often people are looking for that instantaneous gel moment that makes them think, ah, I found my true friend in life but and and so unless they have that instantly they think well there's no point investing in this relationship um what are some of the things beyond just busyness that might restrict us from um, cultivating healthy friendships i mean history fear so if you have a history of rejection so i found friendship i found friendship hard down through the years because i have a history of, of rejection as a child and so you're fearful of taking those risks if if friendship starts with taking a risk walking across the room engaging someone in conversation asking someone if they want to you know get together for a game of golf or a drink or a walk or whatever all of those are risky aren't they and, and if you have a history of rejection the thought that someone might say no or the thought that someone might not like you. I mean, it's incredible how powerful that still is, even in adults. We want people to like us. We're fearful they won't like us. And so sometimes you don't take the risk, because if you don't take the risk, you don't experience the rejection. And you're in control then of that situation. As soon as you say, hey, Jez, do you want to get together for a drink? you're out there. That's the first step of vulnerability. And if Jez is really busy and says, oh, I'm sorry, Simon, I'm too busy this week, it's easy to interpret that as, oh, Jez doesn't want to be my friend. Uh, uh, okay, that's another person who doesn't, want to, doesn't like me. I'm obviously upset. Because we can be both in search of instant friendship and utterly self-obsessed all at the same time. Mm. <laughs> and so you don't take that risk. You don't step out. And what you do then because we have a because we are hardwired for community and that's what we have to remember we you know we're created 
by a God who is in community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're created for community. So, so we're hardwired for it. And therefore, we're going to find it somewhere. And if we're too scared to find that with a real person, we'll find that with an imaginary person. That's why people watch EastEnders or Friends mm. or West Wing or whatever it is. We, we build a connection with someone on a screen that is a kind of surrogate friendship. But it's very safe because if I watch another episode of The West Wing, even though I've watched it however many times I've watched it, I can I can imagine they're my friends <laughs> and they're not going to reject me. In fact, I'm in total control of this relationship. I can pause them, rewind them, fast forward them. Does that make sense? It's like, it's like and, and that's a safe. Now, of course, then what happens is that becomes, it's like you medicate. So we're hardwired for friendship. Friendship's important. We're hardwired for community. We can be scared to form real community, but we have that gap. Therefore, we we form a community in our own little world with the internet or with our programs or whatever it is, and we're in total control of that. So we're medicating the risk of the pain, if that makes sense. Yeah, wow. Wow, that's really, that's really interesting. Um, I've, I've often thought that... As Christians, we have a responsibility to buck that trend in yeah. um, in in being other oriented enough that we can move past some of our fear. And I understand like, legitimate fears, and it's not even just the fears of rejection. Is that I know people who their fear is I'll say, I know what will happen. They think I'll say something stupid, and then I'll spend the next you know day and a half self assassinating because of what I've said, or replaying and going, "Oh, you're a fool! I can't believe you did that." Yeah. Um, what do you think there is in the gospel that not only makes that a responsibility of Christians to push through that, but actually gives us the resources and tools that we might need to push through that? I think the the foundation of the gospel, in fact, for me, the foundation of life, <clears throat> the foundation of emotional health is the grace of God. And to know that we are unconditionally loved by God. While we were still sinners, God died for us. You know, before the creation of the world, God knew our name. And unconditional love is what sets us free. And also giving unconditional love is what makes us human. <laughs> Is what wow. because we can to be able to say to somebody, I'm gonna reach out and be your friend, and it doesn't matter how you respond to that, is just so powerful. Wow. That actually our foundation, so we are hardwired for friendship, but friendship is not our foundation. God is our foundation. So we're in Genesis as a church and looking at this phrase in Genesis 2 verse 18, it's not good for man to be alone. And it's how, what does that mean? So does it mean that Adam was incomplete? Well, I don't think it can mean that because he was in perfect relationship with God at that point. But there was something about the image of God, which is worked out in community. And so for Adam to fully reflect the image of God, he needs to be in community. Therefore, it's not good for him to be alone. Mm. But for us, therefore, it's not that. Because if, if you're not careful, for instance, single people feel like they're incomplete, which is not true, which is not true, because our completeness is in our relationship with God. 
And the foundation of our relationship with God is God's unconditional love of us, God's mm. total acceptance of us. And that unconditional love is what it then enables true friendship. Because true friendship, scriptural friendship, is to serve the other person, is to submit to the other person. Now, are you blessed in friendship? Yes, you are. But mm. to come into a friendship hoping you'll get something out of it is actually not biblical. In the same mm. way, coming to marriage hoping you'll get something out of it is not biblical. To join a life group hoping you'll get something out of it is not biblical. To turn up on a Sunday hoping you'll get something out of it is not biblical. No, we engage in community because out of the security of the unconditional love of God, we then receive grace upon grace that we can give to others. Mm. that's the difference because of course you can be great friends if neither of you are a christian but to be a friend with your foundation being i've got a friend in jesus I, you know there's a friend who's closer than a brother there's a friend who loves me because they, he loves me because he loves me just enables true friendship mm. it enables true forgiveness because all the time you know we're friends jazz and and if my identity, my self-worth is based on your friendship of me and you upset me, then forgiveness then gets a really tricky thing. But actually, if, if my foundation, my security, my identity is on the unconditional love of God and I'm operating in friendship out of unconditional love for you, forgiveness becomes easy. Of course I'm going to forgive you. Of course I am. Because it's not at one level, it's not. It's costing me nothing. I'm not giving anything away in that sense. Yeah, because my identity wasn't in our relationship. My identity is in my relationship with God, which then creates strength for yeah. friendship. Does that kind of make sense? I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I thought the phrase that you used as well about the self-medication for friendship that takes place when we. Um, we only give ourselves to things like um, it, can, it can not just be EastEnders and TV shows. Of course, it's it's authors and books. You know, that's a slightly more intellectually acceptable form of um, self medication. But I love that insight there because you're absolutely right. That is um, a way of us filling up a void that we've got or a need that we've got and and in part you know we're a society that's addicted to all sorts of things and we self-medicate in all sorts mm. of different ways rather than trusting god for the substantial real thing that the the medicated thing is is, is a shadow of so yeah. i think that's a really helpful insight i'd love to share reflections we will come on to talking about emotional health um, but i i think friendship is is really key uh, in part because you know what i hear underneath what you're, a lot of what you're saying is there is this problem with consumerism that we have and we've we've even brought that into our relationships now such that i won't be part of a life group unless there's a friend that will meet my need because we're we're so aware of our own needs now that's not just to say that we're all desperately broken insecure people it's often because we're so bombarded with demands and urgencies that we have we're aware of how limited our resources are that we've got to give away mm. i think that you know you've talked before about um the the dangers of social media and the uh constantly on society that we're in but where i'd love to get your reflections on is f how do we then hear and receive the unconditional love of God in such a way that it does make us feel fuller and more whole. Um, because 
Is it just a question of you need to read your Bible regularly? You need to you go to church regularly. Well, what do you do when you can't go to church regularly because of, you know, <laughs> there's a pandemic? You know, what are some practical tools for actually accessing and believing and getting under your skin, getting the unconditional love of God under your skin such that it gives you the, those resources? That's a, it's a big question, I guess. But what are your thoughts on that? Pace of life is incredibly important. So if we're going to truly get healthy, we generally have to turn down the noise and slow down the pace. So Genesis uh, Genesis 3, there's this implication, isn't there, in that it says Adam, Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord their God walking in the cool of the evening. And, and the implication is that's what happened. In the cool of the evening, you know, when we're given this, Im- you know, this imagery, aren't we, of God coming into the garden and walking in the cool of the evening with Adam and Eve. And it's a beautiful image. And uh, in, in London, where we live, the first eight weeks of lockdown were incredible in many ways because London really closed. We live about half a mile from the A3. And pretty much any time you go outside, you can hear the A3. Um, and um, for eight weeks, there was no traffic. And so when you, and we had this incredible weather, you sat in the garden and you, you said things like, oh, the, the birds are singing. Yeah. And of course, the birds have always been singing. It's not that birds have started singing. It's not the birds went, oh, lockdown, we better sing. <laughs> because they sing. We just heard the birds because one, we slowed down because we were all locked down, which meant in the middle of the day or the call of the evening, we would sit in the garden and have a have a glass of wine or a cup of tea or whatever. And because the noise had turned down, we heard the birds singing. And it's not that God is not walking in the call of the evening. And it's not that God isn't wanting to speak to us. And it's not that the presence of God is not truly present. I just think we're so quick and we're so loud. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm an, I am an external processor. I just talk too much. And, and so I can talk at God and God is very patient with me. And, but actually you just have to stop. You know, when we're, when we're children, we're taught how to cross the road and we're told to stop, to look, and to listen, and it means we won't get hit by a car. <laughs> and as adults, sometimes we need to learn to stop, and we need to look, and we need to listen. So it, it is about uh, opening the Word of God, but if we're not careful, we just add the Word of God to our very busy lives, and it's it becomes 30 minutes of can we read the appropriate number of chapters and tick the appropriate box. And by the grace of God, even when you do that, the word of God does you good. Mm. You know, when you bolt your food, it does you good. Mm. But actually to, to sit and look at one verse for half an hour, to meditate, to read over it, to just be in silence before God, to really listen to a friend I mean, something that can be incredibly helpful is is just to decide, I'm just going to listen to my friend. I'm going to ask my friend questions and I'm going to listen to their answers and then I'm going to ask them another question and I'm going to 
listen to their answers. So often we treat listening as just waiting for our turn to speak. And we just, you know, we think, well, when in this conversation will I be able to bring that nugget of wisdom that will make people think, wow, Simon, you're so clever, you know, and you think, what a nonsense, just shush. And it sounds, I think, I think, Healthy, healthy spirituality is not complicated, but that doesn't mean that it's easy. Mm, that's really good. I think, yeah, I think, um, you know, a lot of people were saying when lockdown, when the, the, the first initial lockdown happened and people could hear the birds and there was deer visible on this park in this field and who knew that was there? And, you know, a lot of people were, were talking about, oh, we must hold on to this. We must not lose this. But inevitably, of course, we're back to, you know, the, the pace of life that it was before. <laughs> and it strikes me that what's needed is not just an awareness of um, the, the importance of slowing down, etc. It's then the self-leadership necessary to actually make some changes in your life. And it's that self-awareness, self-leadership that I know you've talked a lot about before. And I find when you talk about it so helpful. Um, so just I mean that's kind of my segue into talking a bit more about emotional intelligence understanding your emotional self to be able to regulate your emotions and you've described before the different stages of emotional awareness is that something that um, again if we're thinking of the subject of self-leadership to actually get what's good for us rather than just going with the herd you know the herd's doing mm -hmm. this the herd's quiet we're quiet oh isn't that nice the herd's busy i miss quiet but i can't stop because the herd's busy mm -hmm. um, how do we break away from the herd long enough to do exactly what you're saying well that strikes me as requiring some level of self-leadership so give us some of your tools and tips for something like that okay i think the the in no particular order uh but first um <laughs> Uh, uh, try, try and get to, as I said this already, try and get to the why instead of the what. So we will very often ask the question, what are we doing? Are we doing too much? So we might say that. We might think, gosh, I'm really busy. And our first point of call is, am I doing too much? What can I stop doing? What can I give away? Um, and that might be absolutely right. There may, be, there may just be too many balls in the air, okay? Um, and, but... Actually, unless we understand why we are doing too much, what will happen is we'll, we'll be juggling with five balls. We'll go, okay, this is too many. We'll give two away. But because we never really understood why we were juggling with five balls, another couple of balls will come in pretty quickly because that's how we operate. Um, and so you have to understand, well, why were you doing that? Yeah? And it might be as simple as, well, people think, People think I'm pretty clever if I can juggle with five balls. Most people can juggle three balls. Yeah, No one's going to notice me if I'm just juggling three balls. So I better get another couple pretty quick. I better say yes to a podcast because then people will think, oh, wow, Simon's really busy, but he's got time for a podcast. And you think, why, why is that? Why does that matter to me that I have to do all these things? Because otherwise you'll just, you'll just change what you're doing, not actually change how you're doing, change your... Does that make some sense? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's recognising that there... Firstly, recognising there is a why before the what. <laughs> then it's recognising, well, what is the why? Okay, for me, my... I mean, I got into this stuff when I was probably 31, 32, been in church leadership for a couple of years, had a, you know, all the wheels fell off at the same time. I was a complete wreck. 
um, and I had to go and get some counselling, I had to go and get some therapy. Um, and it made me ask these questions. Sitting down with a trained counsellor, a Christian counsellor, made me ask these questions. Why do I behave how I do? And so it's, it's asking that question and then you're saying, well, okay, I behave like that because for me it was rejection, okay, it was a big issue. So then you ask another level. You say, well, why is that? <laughs> you know, why is rejection an issue for me? What is it in my past what is it in my makeup? What is it in my upbringing, my genetics that makes that such a big issue for me? And then you then have to say, right, and now what are my, what are my helps? What are my tactics for now living healthily? Because for things like rejection, for instance, life is full of rejection. You'll apply for jobs, you won't get them. You'll ask the girl out or the guy out and they'll say, say no. Your children will you know, walk away from their faith. The, you'll lose a ministry opportunity. Do you know, you know, you'll knock on your neighbour's door and ask them for alpha and they'll say no. I mean, rejection is just part of the package. Mm. So it's one thing thinking, oh, I'm fearful of rejection and this is why I'm fearful of rejection. It's then, but given that that's going to happen, given we do live in a broken world and to some extent we're always broken people, what am I going to put in place so that the... The wheels don't fall off every time I'm rejected. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It's the Ephesians, is it Ephesians 4, 28, in your anger, do not sin. So, okay, what's that saying? Saying, well, there's an emotion here, anger. No, it doesn't say anger's wrong. It says, in your anger, do not sin. So it's assuming, right, you've recognized, number one, you're angry. You've recognized something has made you angry. You've recognized that your anger could now lead you into certain behaviors. Some of those behaviours are sinful. Some of those behaviours are helpful. You need to learn to choose, even when you're feeling angry, you need to learn to choose the correct behaviour. Does that make sense? Yeah, very helpful. That, that's the kind of process. Now, what I learned through studying things like CBT is that that process is going on whether you whether you're aware of it or not, and it can be instant. Yeah, it can be an instant response. You can go through action, thought, belief, emotion, response in a nanosecond without even knowing that you're going through that process. And the key to emotional health is is starting to unpack that. Yeah, is pausing the tape and analysing the screen and thinking, right, what's going on here? Okay, let's change before we then move forward. Do you have any, on that, do you have any tips on how to stop long enough to recognise the emotion? You know, because we've all been there, no doubt, in, in a meeting scenario or something, a conversation where someone says something and you find yourself instantly riled and you're losing control. And it's very hard to slow down long enough to go, why am I feeling like this? So do you have any, before you then say something, you know, you regret and you have to apologise for. So any any tips on how to slow down long enough to regulate your emotional response? Um, I, there are numbers of ways of doing it. And it depends a little bit what setting you're in, Jess. So um, in some settings you have to either physically or emotionally walk away from the situation. You have to go, you know, so, so it, you know, in, 
in some situations you might think, I've just got to, I've got to physically walk away from this. You know, it can be ridiculous. I mean, it could be you're watching your one of your children at a sporting event and another parent criticises them not knowing they're your child and you just want to punch their lights out. You know, um, maybe you don't, Jess, but, you know, there's that, there's that, and you think, well, I'm a pastor of a church. This will probably not be good for our evangelistic strategy. <laughs> and, and so you think, you know what, I'm just going to walk around the pitch and see if the view from the other side of the pitch is a slightly better view. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And in that setting, and what you're doing is you're creating space. Mm-hmm. So the faster you're living life, the harder it is. If you imagine you're driving a car, and if you're going 85 miles an hour, not that you ever would, Jez, I know, but if you're going 85 miles an hour and and you, a tyre blows out, you're in serious trouble. If you're going 15 miles an hour and a tyre blows out, you're really not. Emotion is the same. If you're if you're living life really quickly, so to use the illustration of the you know the sports pitch, your life is so busy. Your your kids are in multiple clubs. You're juggling loads and loads of balls. You were late to the game anyway. You've kind of thrown your child onto the pitch or into the pool, you know, in half their kit. So you're already right up here. Then somebody says something. You're already, you know, you've got a whole lot of backed up stuff, and out it all comes. So just slowing life down helps, but then slowing the situation down helps. Now, if you're in a setting, say you're in a leadership team setting which, you know, because sometimes the people who upset us most are the people we're closest to, then you, I would say, what you can do, and this depends, this is why, actually this is why authenticity and honesty in teams is very important. You slow down by asking questions and you slow down by being honest. Yeah? So, you know, we're in a leadership team together, say, and I've got this great idea for our, you know, one of those great ideas that will take our church from 100 to 10,000 in three months, even though we live in a town of 5,000, you know, those sorts of ideas. I'm, I'm an external processor and I've thrown it out there and you're an internal processor and a monitor evaluator and you've just, you've said, oh, I think that's a silly idea. And, and I'm like, this is my idea and I've been thinking about it all day and that can be conflict very quickly, can't it? Mm-hmm. But if authenticity and openness in that relationship, I can ask questions. You know, before I react, oh, Jez, why Why do you think it's a silly idea? Yeah? And if I want to be really authentic, I can say, because actually I felt a bit hurt then when when you said it's a silly idea. Yeah? And, all, and you're just literally, you're, you're, as it were, you're emotionally walking away in that sense. Mm-hmm. You're just asking questions. Let's get some clarity. You're creating, as it were, light mm-hmm. in situation let's let's open this up let's not just pass it by because of course an external processor might get cross in the moment and the internal processor might be sitting there thinking oh i never get cross in the moment they get cross they just push it down rather than it coming out yeah and and so they're not processing any better by internalizing it <laughs> they're just processing it differently so again it's the ask a question what did you mean have i understood you right yeah, and also then you can talk about how you felt. Yeah, because there's a difference between you just said I was stupid, and I felt you. I I felt stupid because you criticised my idea. Mm. That's a completely different conversation. Mm. But again, you need time. 
If you've got 27 things on your agenda for your two-hour meeting and one of your team happens not to be full-time on staff, so actually got in from work at eight, ate a sandwich in the car on the way to the meeting and arrived 20 minutes late, and there's now 20 things on the agenda, there's no time for that sort of stuff, is there? Because you've got to get on to the next thing. So again, firing it down, creating space, not just walking past something. Jesus great thing with him he's on the road and they have this argument about um who's the greatest and they think he hasn't heard them because he doesn't pick them up on it but then later over dinner he says when we were on the road we had this conversation and i just think i was just genius he's like yeah. they're all now that kind of there so some of the heat's been taken out of it because they're not on the road they've stopped they've sat down, they've washed their feet, they've got food out, it's all a bit more relaxed, and then Jesus unpacks it. Back on the road would have probably added fuel to the fire and created conflict. Unpacking it around the dinner table, suddenly they understand. That's very good. It's very good. And I, th- I think a lot of, you know, a lot of what you've said in this conversation has had a very similar thread to it as well. A lot of it comes back to the importance of slowing down, uh, expressing and showing vulnerability. And a lot of people might be listening to this and thinking, it's all lovely, but I'm just so busy. I've got so many plates to spin. I've got so much going on. But the reality is they are a human being and there's only so many hours in a day and there's only so much they can do and things will explode at some point. And you have to consider what kind of impact and legacy you want to make with your life and then make some hard decisions in the day to day to either stop things, slow down. I think you're absolutely right. Even what you said about creating friendships, just simple things about learning to listen long to one another. Uh, I know an author, Nancy Klein, who has this thing about um, thinking partnerships where uh, you give someone 10 minutes and you don't interrupt them, even if they're really even if they're really frustrating you, you've got to keep listening. Because then it's your turn to speak and they don't interrupt you. And little principles like that help us slow down, create meaningful relationships and uh, and I think are important ways of regulating our emotional health. Uh, Simon, our time has almost come to an end, run out uh, of being together. I found this so much, there's so much good in here, so many helpful practical things. Uh, are there any other kind of just nuggets or things that you're thinking about as I'm speaking that you think, I just I want to say this before we finish? I think you use the illustration of plate spinning. Um, and I think the reality is that some people have very high capacity and therefore they can spin a lot of plates for a long time. But that doesn't mean that's healthy. And I think it's recognizing, yeah, we are busy. And sometimes we'll, I'll, I'll meet with people, I'll chat with them and they'll say exactly what you said. But how, how do I slow down? And I think if I could kind of just pick up that just to finish, and this is this will sound very facetious, but slow down slowly. <laughs> so I think often people think, uh, right, I'm working too fast, I'm juggling, you know, I'm spinning, let's not mix our metaphors, um, I'm, <laughs> I'm spinning 10 plates and I've only got capacity to spin four, but if six dropped at the same time, it would just be a disaster. Yeah, and and actually they may well be right, but what that means is they always spin ten, and it's it's, it's sitting down with your team, sitting down with a friend, and saying, right, in a year's time, I only want to be spinning eight, and a year six months after that, I only want to be spinning six, and six months after that, I only want to be spinning four, and actually you'll find that 
is, is, a, is a little bit reverse exponential in that it, it, you, you can slow down quicker as you go through. But early on, you just have to think, right, I need to give one thing away. Mm. I need to change how I do one thing initially and slow that down. Um, and, you know, we're, we're told, aren't we, when you go to advanced driving courses, you know, those ones where they take your photo and invite you to a course. <laughs> um, we're told don't slam your brakes on. Everything will lock up and you'll crash. Pump your brakes. Now we have ABS, don't we, But which does it for you. But actually, little, little steps, little steps slow down. Um, someone, someone told me very early on in my leadership, we, we overestimate what we can do in a year and we underestimate what we can do in five years. Uh, it's often quoted about hmm. accelerating new things, but I think it's equally true about changing the pace of our lives. You think, gosh, I couldn't do that in a year. You know, I've got to earn all this money. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. And to change it all in a year is impossible. So they never start. Whereas I'm thinking, in five years' time, my life could be very different if I slowed down a bit every six months for the next few years. Can be a great way of slowing down well. Mm, really helpful. I think, and even what you touched on there, um, there is often reasons why people fear slowing down, and um, sometimes it's just a fear that I've got, I've got, I need to make more money, otherwise I won't be able to survive. And what's underneath that is I don't really trust that God will provide for me. And, uh, and that's something I'd love to talk about perhaps in a subsequent episode is um, why it is that we in the Western world, the richest, healthiest, wealthiest part ever in history, yet we're still obsessed with and listen a lot to this lie of lack, that there isn't going to be enough, God isn't going to provide, I do need to work as hard as I can. Um, that's a conversation for another day. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> Simon, there's been so much in here that's been so rich and practical and healthy. I always come away from our conversations freshly encouraged and uh, inspired. So thank you so much. I'm going to go away and review my own life and I'm um, going to go tell my wife that I can't do anything now. I need to slow down and just relax and she okay. can do it all. So. Yeah, I'm sure she'll thank me for that advice because you'll also tell us Simon told me, won't you? Yeah, Simon says, you know, if you say Simon says, you have to do it. It's if you say it without saying Simon says, you can't. Uh, thank you so much, Simon. Yeah. Great to spend time with you, Jess. Wow. I mean, I told you, <laughs> I'm glad you've got it on record so you can go back over it and learn from it. I wasn't expecting us to spend so long talking about friendship like we did, but I'm so grateful for the things he had to say. Wasn't that interesting? He said, we're hardwired for community and what we're often looking for when we watch TV is surrogate friendships, but friendships without the fear of rejection. I mean, what do you think about that? <laughs> what are we going to do about it? I loved what he said and it's very challenging, particularly when Simon said to come into friendship or marriage or church or midweek church groups, hoping that you'll get something out of it is not biblical. Challenging words. Well, next time on the podcast, I'm going to be talking with popular teacher and author Andrew Wilson to discuss secularism and the major challenges facing Christians in the West today. Here's a snippet from it. Somebody by love is love means I should be able to love anybody I want. I say, well, I think that's actually just the second commandment. I think that's a bit Jesus, or Jesus saying, you know, love God, love your neighbor. 
we're not, but that isn't all you're saying. You're saying, I want that love to be expressed sexually if I choose to. And that's where I do think the debate is actually about sex rather than about love. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, until next time, thanks for listening. And if you're enjoying the show so far, please don't forget to like, subscribe and share with anyone you think would benefit from the content we're putting out. If you want to get in contact with me for whatever reason, or if you have a guest or topic suggestions, or just want to say hi, you can email me at podcast at newgroundchurches.org. Otherwise, God bless you, and I'm looking forward to being with you next time. See you soon.